Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Coming to you live by the Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loan Studios. Rocket Mortgage with you every step of the way to provide a seamless mortgage experience. It's the Ken Carmen Show on CBS Sports Radio. 855-2124-CBS. 855-2124-227. Our sincere thanks and our sincere apologies for everybody out there. Thanks for bearing with us. Our apologies for you to you. We loved having Leroy Hart on, even though I disagree with one thing fundamentally, which I'll get to at 1.20 p.m. Eastern. And it's going to be a very regional thing because Cleveland joins us right now at noon. And at 1.20 p.m. Eastern, I'm going to tell you why. Art Modell belongs in a lot of places. He sure as hell don't belong in the Hall of Fame. And I'll just map that out for everybody. And if you think that I'm making too big a deal about it, that I don't give a damn, you can go pound sand. Because it's something that's very near and dear to my heart. It's something that's very important. It should be important to the NFL. It should be very important for the optics of the NFL. It should sure as hell be very important to the blue ribbon panel that might be putting up to 15 members in the Hall of Fame coming up in the 2020 class. That coming up at 1.20 p.m. Eastern. Also, Matt Merchel going to join us coming up at 12.30, 9.35 uh, Pacific. Orlando Sentinel, college football writer. We'll talk college football with him. Yeah, I, I freaked out there in the moment because Leroy and I were talking about the Browns a couple of years ago and, and the Dolphins now. And this is why I think Patrick Mahomes, if things go the right way, I, let me just take the headphones off and speak to you for as a fan for a second. If things go the right way, I'm going to hate Patrick Mahomes. Because that means that my favorite football team's quarterback does well and that we meet in the postseason. If things go the way they should, as a fan, I should loathe someday Patrick Mahomes. But as of right now, with the way Kansas City does it, with the way that he does it, with the way that Andy Reid does it, uh, they might be my favorite, most respected team in the NFL because they did it the right way. What I'm watching right now with the Miami Dolphins is an absolute travesty. And what I watched a couple of years ago with the, with the Cleveland Browns was a travesty. The difference is, is that the Browns have a tremendous fan base that loves football, that loves Cleveland Browns football, and is willing to stick with them through thick and through thin. Also, that the weather pattern here in Northeast Ohio isn't that great. And we love the fall, but we hate the winter, and we got to get excited about something. And since we lost the team in 1995, we rally around the Cleveland Browns. So there is a built-in love that doesn't go away, even though it came damn close, and we know that, in 16 and 17. That's, to me, the biggest difference between Miami and Cleveland. Because there's other things to do on December, in December, down in Miami than go watch Dolphins football. And people just won't show up. Now, there is a fever still for the sport, and people do like the Dolphins down there. That's understood. But the optics of it are terrible. 
And when you do that to your fan base, because there are hardcore fans, these two franchises aren't that different from one another. From Dan Marino, from Bernie Kosar, they've spent years in the abyss looking for quarterbacks, looking for somebody to quote-unquote be the savior. They've tried to throw patchwork on it. One team went with Colt McCoy. The other team went with John Beck. One team tried to put Chad Henney in there. The other one tried to get Brady Quinn to do it for him. They've all made. They've both made mistakes. And over that course of time, you continuously talk about the glory days. The Browns with eight world championships in the 40s and 50s in 1964, and six, uh, 1964. And you obviously have the Miami Dolphins with what they did in 72 and 73. Trying to relive the glory days. Trying to hold on to hope that it will happen again. And so what the Browns do from 16 and 17 is they go from four wins and five wins and six wins and then back to four and then maybe four, then maybe five and kind of keeping it there and trying to find other quarterbacks and it was just enough to wet the whistle, but it was still very, very frustrating. And they go all out. One and 15, it can't get any worse. No, they find a way. They go 0 and 16 the next year. Then they take Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield, and I'm part of the play, I'm part of the blame for this. I will not walk away from that. Baker Mayfield goes from a quarterback to a messiah. And that means that you don't know if you can give a real chance to grow. And so the growth on the field has to take place rapidly because the fan has invested so much time, effort, love, frustration to watch this quarterback go out and become the next best thing in the NFL. And if they don't pick that quarterback this year, which is something that some people are talking about, they might pass on Justin Herbert. They might even trade down from the number one overall pick coming up in the 2020 draft because it looks like they are on a collision course with 1-15 and 15 or 0-16, the Dolphins are. That if they do that for two years, that isn't a quarterback that you'll take. Trevor Lawrence won't be a quarterback. Trevor Lawrence will be a golden gift from God. And if he's anything less than that, at least Cleveland has that built-in love. You can always just go to 11, or you can always just go to the Clevelander or something in South Beach. you got to win down there, and you got to make it worth it. And I fear for them. And I fear for the way that certain organizations are thinking this way, and I think that this is owner-driven down in Miami. And that's why I have a real respect and admiration for what Kansas City has done. Kansas City didn't tank anything. Kansas City made the playoffs. They traded up to 10. They took a risk like you do with any quarterback because you're just going to do that. And they went and they took Patrick Mahomes. And then what they did was they let him sit for a year behind a pretty decent quarterback in Alex Smith, made the playoffs, went out, got better, made the trade with Alex Smith to the Washington Redskins, and then took Patrick Mahomes, made him the starter, and they have not looked back since. MVP candidate this year, MVP last year as the defending MVP, looks like he's right as rain yet again and still has less. They've dealt with injuries, they've dealt with questions on defense, and he's still done a fantastic job. They get everything you want in a franchise quarterback. They didn't have to lose games. They took the same risk everybody else does. If Chris Greer, who's maybe, I I can't guarantee anything with Stephen Ross, if Chris Greer is still the general manager and they tanked it out to go get that quarterback and that quarterback sucks, he's still out on his ass. John Dorsey went up and traded for Patrick Mahomes. John Dorsey was out on his ass before he got the Browns job. 
John Dorsey didn't take a damn thing with the Cleveland Browns when he got there. We look at this as if this is some sort of wave of the future. I look at it the other way. We celebrate draft picks when we suck our favorite teams. We celebrate draft picks because they're good ideas. And so we imagine them to all be all pros. And then when we're not, we get that much more frustrated with it. Because when you mess up draft picks, which bad organizations do, we put that much more love and affection and hope into those draft picks. And when they aren't all pros from the very beginning, we get that much more frustrated. Because again, when you suck for a long time, you take guys and you turn them into something they're not. Golden Greek gods when they're just football players. There are plenty of first-round picks who are busts. There are plenty of first-round picks that are just so-so football players who go on to maybe have decent NFL careers, and then we do have Hall of Famers. We do have that. But I look at organizations like Kansas City, and I go, why isn't anybody emulating them? You want to emulate what the Browns did for two years? Put your fan base through that hell like Browns fans had to go through? If it works out with Baker Mayfield, that's great. Who says your quarterback's Baker Mayfield? Who says your quarterback that you get is going to be great? And while I think Baker Mayfield has a ton of talent, what the first three weeks told us is that he still needs good coaching and he still needs a good game plan because there are things as a second-year quarterback who just completed technically a full roster of 16 games, a full schedule of 16 games, there's things that he still needs to learn, and he says that in every single press conference. And we really think that this is the best way to go about business now in the NFL? The Browns are talked about. The Browns have talent. The Browns should, are expected to make the playoffs, and that's why we freak out every time the Browns lose. And we will freak out any time the Browns lose or, or don't play it at optimum level, even when they win like they did against the Jets. And that's the way to go about it? The Chiefs didn't do that. They're a favorite to win a Super Bowl again. The Rams didn't do that. They were just poorly coached. They had talent. Sean McVay did that. The Eagles... I don't think they tanked anything. They fired Chip Kelly. They put their own they put their old general manager back in charge of their football team. They just went back to the way things were going because the things that they were doing weren't very bad. They didn't tank anything out. This is a dangerous way of thinking here. Because it might work out for the Browns. And obviously I have skin in the game. I hope it does. I can't guarantee that result for anybody else. We're looking at a a reality here where people are talking about tanking because they just want to get that number one overall pick. Why put yourself through the hell? Why not give yourself a chance just to get a number one overall pick where we have looked at this through a completely different prism? The Patriots move around draft picks. They give away draft picks. They took a center from the Buffalo Bills, and Buffalo Bills fans were celebrating when they they got rid of that center because they hoodwinked, quote-unquote, the New England Patriots for a six-round pick. Congratulations. We put way too much value into the amount of draft picks that you have. You, It makes it that much more important when you tank it out like that that you hit on that many more draft picks. It's a pressurized situation, and I don't think that it's going to work for everybody. And I think there's going to be serious consequences for ownerships, but more importantly for for head coaches, for general managers, for players on those football teams, for assistant coaches on those football teams, and for the fans themselves. And I look at what they do in Kansas City. Man, you guys did it the right way. Traded up, took a risk. Because you know if you don't get the quarterback, you're going to get fired anyway. If you don't get things going in that direction, you're going to get fired anyway. 
So you, you saw a guy that you knew was going to be the future of your football team. You put your pills out there. You made a trade. You went up and got him. And it's working out pretty well for the Kansas City Chiefs right now. Not my favorite, but I have to admire what they do. 855-2124-CBS. Up next, five burning questions. It's Ken Carmen on CBS Sports Radio. This is the Ken Carmen Show. Matt Merchelle in 20 minutes, but I'm feeling the heat. It's time for five burning questions. Tom! What's up, Ken? Oh, nothing. Just doing the show. Talking about Jay Gruden smoking pot and Bill Self having Snoop Dogg, which I, I guess they had thought that Bill Gaither was going to be out there singing at halftime, but who the hell am I? Go ahead. Yeah, somebody physically moved stripper poles onto the basketball court, but this morning they're claiming, like, if we had any idea of what this act was going to be, you hired Snoop. We wouldn't have done anything. You hired like this. Snoop. <laughs> I cannot believe. You hired so much Snoop. trouble with the NCAA right now, too. That's the best part. That's the kicker. That, that, that does not, that's no, that's nonsensical. Like, again, if you would have hired Franklin Graham to give a speech or to give a sermon and then he brought out stripper poles, okay, I get it. Totally on board. You didn't expect that to happen. That was a total curveball. This is Snoop. All right, let's do some questions. The first one in the NBA, the next four will be NFL. The NBA question is simple NBA preseason has begun, training camps are underway. We had an unusual offseason. Some are naming really the craziest offseason in the history of the NBA. Of course, the finals MVP, Kawhi Leonard, to the Clippers. Katie mm-hmm. and Kawhi, uh, Kyrie excuse me, to Brooklyn. AD to the Lakers. Russ to OKC. Kemba to Boston. Mm-hmm. So did all the offseason chaos and movement, does it, did it make you more or less interested in the upcoming season? Uh, I would say more. I would say more because I want to see how things work out. I loved how they're working out the offense. Well, you see, in crunch time, we'll have them play together with Russ. And I go, okay, so in crunch time, you're just going to lose the game. All right, that's going to work out well in Houston. But um, I, I, I'm more interested in it. I, and I was talking to, I was actually talking to Billy Jack before the hour started because he's a huge Nets fan. I'm excited for Billy Jack to see the Nets play good basketball. Um. I don't have as a fan. I don't have the best relationship with Kyrie Irving, but Kyrie Irving went one of the greatest shots for my fandom's history. So there will always be some respect there, and there will always be—I can't help it—there will always be some uh, intrigue and interest. And I think that Billy's going to have to watch this season, and he's going to see some great basketball, but he's also going to see a couple of times where he's going to really miss Kevin Durant being out there on the floor, and he's going to hate that he has to wait a year, and even wonder if Kevin Durant will still be that type of KD that we've seen in the past. I, I look, I look forward to the challenge. That's laid ahead of the Golden State Warriors. I look forward to the challenge of what's laid ahead for the Lakers and LeBron because, you know what, if LeBron wins another one, we got to have this conversation. You know we have to have it again. And you might be sick of it, and you might want to turn the ch- turn the station, and that's fine, but you know I'm right because it looks like the Lakers are one of the top teams out there. And if they win, I know that 1-1-6 with one franchise, but to take three franchises that were technically on their ass and win championships... Just saying, you know we're going to have that conversation. So I think it's a very interesting NBA season coming up. Next. All right, the NFL has said today that there was a second dangerous hit by Vontez Burfecht against the Colts last week on top of the head-to-head hit that uh, he leveled on Jack Doyle that saw him suspended for the remainder of the season. It's been a somewhat controversial suspension. John Gruden, for one, has strongly disagreed with the suspension. That one makes a little bit of sense. Are you okay with Vontez Burfecht being suspended 13 games? 
No. I don't think that he should be suspended for 13 games. I think that he's a headhunter and he's an ass and blowing blowing kisses to the fans as he was running off the field probably wasn't the best move. But the rest of the season is pretty strong. And I think that this is, again, just more evidence of, yeah, you build it up over time, but the NFL, they have it up for certain guys. And Vontez Burford is one of those certain guys. And I wouldn't be saying that if Jack Doyle would have came out and said that he thought his life was in danger or anything like that. When Jack Doyle comes out and says, eh, you know, we're playing football, and I, I kind of thought it was just a, a, a tackle. I don't think that's something to suspend a guy for the rest of the year. I think there needs to be a set of appeals here and and see if you can. If you want to suspend him four games or even eight games, go right on ahead. I think he's a world-class ass, but he is a decent football player. And if there's a place for him, then, yeah, he should have that opportunity. Next. All right, the Broncos are 0-4. They look like they may have made suspect selections again at head coach yes. and quarterback this offseason. Yes. John oh, Elway has been Vic. positive between yeah. every single game so far this season. He was positive again this week, telling ABC7 in Denver, quote, well, I think we're on the rise. I think when you look at it defensively, we got to play better. But offensively, I think we've continued to make strides <laughs> and gotten better each week, which I'm excited about, end quote. What are the odds that this is John Elway's final season running the Broncos? Uh, oh, gosh, I still think that those are are long odds. They're not going to fire him. He'd have to step down, right? I'm not right? sure at this point, Ken. I mean, you can't be worse than Owen whatever. I, I am so happy because I have been doing this since 2016, the end of the 2016 season, and people are finally coming around on it. Because I think we're getting to the point. I like Vic Fangio, so I'm not, I'm not happy that he's struggling, but – if I can just allow myself to take another victory lap. The last month, by the way, Tommy, and you know this, the last month's been great for us. I mean, we have been right about a lot of stuff. If you want correctness, you listen to this show because we have been on top of it. But in 2016, at the end of that season, I got so agitated because of the whole Brock Osweiler thing. And I'm at the end of that season, I'm going, why is everybody celebrating? And then to 17, when Osweiler, wasn't it Osweiler leaves? And I'm looking at him going, why are you guys celebrating this? They didn't make the playoffs. And they offered him, what, $1 million less than what the Texans did? And people, oh, can't believe John Elway does it again. Fantastic again. The best quarterback that John Elway has drafted has been a favor to his buddy Jim Kelly. Think about that for a moment, won't you, Bronco fan? Chad Kelly, a seventh-round pick is a favor, was probably the most talented quarterback that he drafted. Trevor Simeon, yeah, I know that Peter King... I know that Peter King carried water for him. Trevor Trevor Simeon is not that talented. Trevor Simeon is smart. Trevor Simeon is not that talented. I don't think he has. I don't think he has the natural talent that Chad Kelly has. I don't care what you say. Wow. He goes out and he gets. He goes out and he gets Drew Locke, and he's 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 hiding Drew Locke, and probably rightfully so. Oh, you drafted Paxton Lynch in the first round. Notice by the way, there's a theme with these bigger quarterbacks here because they're more statuesque quarterbacks because they remind him of an era that he played in. John Elway is the quintessential guy who's good, but not a good evaluator. And there's such a difference there. And it leads you to believe that John Elway, somebody brought this to my attention, is John Elway just drafting bad quarterbacks to make himself look better during his career? Obviously, that's a joke, but you start to think that way. Thank God for, pa- thank God for Peyton Manning. Because everything else has been an out-and-out disaster. You really don't think, by the way, that Chad Kelly's the most talented quarterback he's drafted? No, I don't, I'm not a believer in Chad Kelly whatsoever. I don't know why. I don't think I think Chad I think Chad Kelly's a goof. 
It has problems. I don't think he's very good either. Trevor but Simeon th- was the uh, 250th pick in the draft. He's already made 25 starts. That's good value. I'm not can, trying to give Elway credit oh, can, to some kind can, of QB Congratulations, whisperer, But he yes. found a seventh-round quarterback that can play in the NFL. God, are you, are, you, are you hearing yourself here? We're talking talent. We're not talking overall career. Well, Chad Kelly, I think, has better natural talent. Congratulations. Trevor Simeon is just like every mean, other like white. throw it more yards? Yeah, congratulations. Trevor Simeon is just like every other white backup who can find a job in the NFL. Congratulations on all of it. And well Chad done. is not even that. No, <laughs> Chad, Chad isn't that. Not even but you're, that. You're, you're, you are confusing talent okay. with career. There's Maybe. plenty of guys who have talent who aren't in the league because they're idiots. I'm not saying that Chad Kelly is has everything above board. Obviously, he goes through a lot of problems. I think talent. But we're talking overall what, talent. Talent includes what's in your mind. But I understand what you're saying. I understand. Mm. We Go got ahead. two more. Let's do it. Greg Zerline, Greg the Leg, missed a game winner to cap an excellent Thursday night football game this week. Kicker confidence is down, according to Warren Sharp at Sharp Football on Twitter. Uh, the last couple of years, this is a trend that let's see. This was this is uh, between 40 and 60 yards to win the game, down one or two points in the final two minutes. This was over 67 percent. In five seasons in a row, really yep. over 70% in five seasons in a row until last year, and has dramatically fallen to just 31% over the last two seasons. This time's up with Steven Goskowski having some kind of weird issue and then getting hurt for the season, being shut down by the Patriots, the normally reliable, one of the best pick- kickers in the league. Adam Vinatieri going through problems. There's really kicker instability all over the NFL right now, Ken. So do you think football is more or less entertaining with so much kicker oh, instability? more. Way more entertaining. Because now it brings up, should you go for two? Should you go for it instead of trying to kick a field goal? It's way more entertaining. Because before it was just, ah, just go for the field goal. Just like, yeah, well, you're, you're, you're right there for the extra point. You just hit the extra point and you move on. Because coaches will always do the thing that has the least amount of risk. That's why I hate the term, well, he's coaching not to lose. They all coach not to lose. Like Mike Vrabel did it once last year where he actually coached to win. And then people got mad at him for going for two. Because they thought it was stupid and it was a stupid play call. Well, he was coaching to win just like you want him to do. But now more coaches are thinking about it because they don't have the confidence in their kickers. So it creates a better NFL. And again, it's why Bill Belichick is the preeminent thinker of the NFL and of our time. Because it was all Bill Belichick's idea. And now we have 33-yard extra points. And now it's a question of whether or not those things are guaranteed. We're seeing more different scores. We're seeing more questions. Now we have real arguments on whether to go to two, go for two, whether or not your offense can really go for two, whether or not you're really equipped to do that type of thing, whether you should go for it on fourth and one, whether the odds are good enough and say you're from the 18-yard line, whether or not you should just go for it and continue the drive, or whether or not you should just get the goose egg off the board and get the three. There's so many different, more permutations than we've ever had before. It's way more entertaining. Thank God for Bill Belichick and the thought. Next. All right, I lied about football only. One more baseball. Beautiful. Wednesday's Rays-A's game was the least watched wildcard game on ESPN so far. 2.8 rating, down 35% from the AL wildcard game a year ago. Yeah. Tuesday's NL wildcard game, also rated at 2.9, was also down 32% a year ago. Do you think the wildcard games are still working, Ken? What, what games were those again? Say the participants again one more time. Okay, that was Rays A's on Wednesday and Brewers Nationals on Tuesday. Baseball is is dangerously regional. So neither of those are the New York market. Neither of those are Boston, which it's not going to be Boston, obviously. Neither of those are L.A., right? Neither of those are St. Louis. It's a dangerously regional sport that 
if those games are on, people just aren't going to watch. You do have DC and one in the Bay Area and the other, but I understand what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, you got the Bay Area, but it's the A's. It's not the Giants. Yeah. And, hey, I, I don't mind the A's. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, not, I'm not talking trash about the A's, but <laughs> one is different than the other. So I'm sorry. It's not going to be the same thing. And the Rays? Please. It's a regional game now, and if your team's not on, you're not going to watch it. Football, people watch football. Basketball, they'll watch the NBA, and ratings have been down for a couple of that. But in baseball, if your favorite team bowed out, you are not in. And if you're not from the biggest market, the numbers are going to suffer. And that is five burning questions. Great, great lot of that. I love how we fought during that, Tom. It was wonderful. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's a good time. Week 5 preview of the NFL coming up at 1 p.m. Eastern, also at 1.20. The Hall of Fame is for the fans. And since the Pro Football Hall of Fame is for the fans, you will keep Art Modell out of it. Up next, Matt Michelle, Orlando Sentinel. This is the Ken Carmen Show. Week 5 NFL preview coming up at 1 p.m. Eastern also. Remember, there's a great way you can save money. Y'all, you just switch to Geico. It's incredible. I had a buddy, I swear to God, he's a, he's a bit owner of another business here in Northeast Ohio. He texts, he goes, man, I wish I could just be an insurance agent. It's a license to print money. And I said, not so fast, my friend. When you go to Geico, they don't overcharge you. You go to geico.com, 15 minutes, it could save you 50% or more on car insurance. It's that simple with the fine folks over at Geico. 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. A big slate of football games going on right now, and a guy who joins us right now, he is in the airport getting ready to head on out because he was at... UCF in Cincinnati last night, a big, big upset win for the fighting Luke Fickles over the national champions of 18 times over like the UCF Knights. And joining us on the show, Matt Merschel, national college football writer for the Orlando Sentinel and Tribune. Follow him on Twitter at OSMattMerschel. Matt, thanks for joining us today, my friend. No problem. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. What type of atmosphere and what type of upset was that last night? Uh, well, you know, it was a great atmosphere. You know, I, I credit Cincinnati for, you know, selling out the stadium, you know, having the, uh, the crowd get into it at every point. Um, they stuck around to the very end, and, that, and that's something that, you know, I think helped them out in this game. I thought they, you know, the, the crowd noise became a little bit of a factor later on in some spots and uh, definitely kind of sparked this team to go on and, and, and pull off, which is, you know, which is a, a big upset over UCF, which came into this game riding a 19-game conference winning streak. Is Josh Heupel on the hot seat? No, I'm kidding. Uh, Matt Merchell joining us on the show. So, it depends on Twitter. No, you're kidding me. You're no, kidding. no, there's some fans who want to see Josh Heupel gone. So, <laughs> well, that doesn't make any damn sense whatsoever. All right, Matt Merchell with us on the show. Uh, watching a couple games, Can, and, and just because Michigan's on over over the top of my shoulder. Oh, oh, oh you already know it. Um. Well, well, let me just start with this. Should Jim Harbaugh just go back to the NFL where it's safe? You know, I'm not sure. I, I mean, I'm sure at some point there's going to be some offers down the road that will be attractive for him. I mean, he's done a, a, a – when you look at the overall what he's been able to do at Michigan, I, I think besides wins and losses, I think he's done a good job of bringing Michigan back to the forefront when he's talking about you know the national spotlight. You know, This is a program that you know I think five or six short years ago – you know, people were, you know, kind of making fun of, you know, because of the fact that they were struggling. Now they're at least being talked about. They're in the top 25. Um, but I think he still has to get over that last hump, which is he's got to win a Big Ten title and he's got to get past Ohio State. And, 
you know, this year was supposed to be one of those years where everything seemed to kind of was supposed to go right, and it hasn't. And, I mean, I, I think obviously a win today over Iowa would be huge for them. I think that would be a, a little bit of a, a redemption considering what's happened early on this year. Um, but I still think until he gets past Ohio State, until he wins the Big Ten title, until he gets maybe this program into the college football playoff discussion, um, I, I think he's always going to feel this heat. Now, I'm not saying they're going to fire Jim Harbaugh, but I think at mm-hmm. some point maybe the attraction of going back to the NFL might be something that would draw him. Yeah, I agree with you. I just don't know if they ever can because I've been talking about this the last couple of years ago. And like, you know, I want Jim Harbaugh. I want Michigan to be good. I think it's great for the conference, and I think it'd be great for their rivalry with Ohio State. A lot of Ohio State fans don't want to believe me on that. And I'll ask you about Ryan Day maybe coming up here in a bit. But when it comes to Jim Harbaugh, it's like, hey, man, I can't, I can't say to fire the guy. They're they're back to a level that's that's been there's been expectations, and they should be better. Are you tired of hearing about Jim Harbaugh in Michigan, though? Um, you know, a little bit, yeah. I mean, there's a point where, you know, it, it, you are kind of who you are at this point. You know, I think when you look at that program, I think, you know, he's gotten better. I will say this. I think he's kind of tempered some of the, the stuff he did early on. If you remember early on with the recruiting, he was doing all the craziness, you know, camping out at recruits' houses and doing things like that. People were really getting kind of – I think it was a little bit of overload. I think people got tired of hearing about them. He's kind of pulled back a little bit, you know, over the last year or two. I think he realized some of those antics maybe haven't, you know, helped his cause. Um, but, again – you know, fan bases can be fickle, and, and if they you know, if they lose to Ohio State again this year, if they, you know, maybe finish with eight wins, maybe lose a bowl game even, um, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be unhappy with this, the progress. I believe that he's done a good job of getting the program back in the limelight, getting the Michigan brand back out there. But, again, when it comes to wins and losses, that would be the big question. So Florida today, then at LSU, then you got Georgia, then you got Alabama. But they've gone off to a great start. Has Gus Malzahn already saved his job? Yeah, I think he has. I mean, listen, I, I think when the idea of him coming into the season with this being a make-or-break season, this was ridiculous in a lot of ways. I mean, and then you look at the fact that they get two top tw- two wins over top twenty-five programs right now. They're five and zero. Listen, I look at Auburn as a wild card in the SEC right now. They're that team that no one probably wants to face because you don't know what you're going to get. They're playing well on defense. You look at what Bo Nix has done, you know, as a quarterback on offense. He's done a great job. Um, they're a team that could maybe pull off an upset here and there and kind of make things a little bit more interesting in the SEC. If they beat Florida today, they're going to be you know, usually a, considered a top-five team when you look at it. Then you go into Georgia, you go into LSU, you go into Alabama. There are opportunities where you can pull some upsets there as well. So I, I think all this talk about him you know, fighting for his job or playing, you know, coaching for his job is ridiculous. I think they're, they've done a great job. They've always continued the, the trend they've been on this year. I, I think they'll, have, they'll finish out with a great season. If Tennessee was 4-0, would we know about this Jeremy Pruitt video? No, probably not. I mean, it, it, when, when things go bad for programs, everything comes out of the woodwork. Every little, every little thing, every little rest, every little you know, uh, discrepancy, anything comes out of the woodwork because there are some fans and there are some people who aren't happy with the way the program is going. Um, I, I think Jeremy had to make this move. I mean, when you look at what happened, you look at what the player said, Yep. Um, you know, it, it, it's something you can't have on your program, especially as you're fighting for you're talking about a guy fighting for his coaching life. I mean, you you can't have these these distractions around the program, and you've got enough things going on, especially in the week when you're leading into Georgia. You know, where you're you know this is a you know, this is a big game in the sense that you're at home. If you lose this game, you've got three home losses, and it could be a bad loss. Mm-hmm. Um, you just can't have anything else really distracting you. So I, I think it was the right move. I think it's something that you know uh, I give him credit for. We got Matt Marshall joining us on the show. I don't think I'm warped on this. Please, just let me explain it here. Now, I 
when it comes to Jeremy Banks, yeah, there had to be a punishment there. I hope that he could, he he is able to rectify it and, and hopefully move on with his life because what he said to the police officers was reprehensible and there's no room for it. But the people who are going after Jeremy Pruitt, he says in the audio, the guy's got really no family talking about Jeremy Banks. He he yeah. is he is a guy who has to look after him. We're talking about five hundred dollars over here. He's been called at four in the morning about this. Now I know his players shouldn't be out at four in the morning, but that's not a crime. This is something that they need to discuss. I can kind of see where Jeremy Pruitt's coming from here, Matt, where, hey, when we go to recruit these guys, we tell families or lack thereof that we're going to be a steward for them, and I think that he's doing what any father or any football coach should maybe want to do. Yeah, I mean, look at, think about this. I was asked about this the other day. Jeremy Pruitt was actually on the phone with, with, with Banks, you know, talking to the police officer at 4 in the morning. It used to be a time period where coaches – you know, coaches wouldn't be the one handling this. It would be an assistant coach or a strength coach or someone mm-hmm. else involved in the program. The mm-hmm. idea that Jeremy Pruitt got on the telephone and actually tried to talk about this with the player and with the police officer, that to me shows that he does care about this guy. He cares enough that he's willing to step in on his own. You know, I mean, again, it could have been handled by a, a, someone, an underling, you know, in the Tennessee program, but he, he was able to do that. So I just think in the overall scheme of things, when you look at what happened, you hope the player can move on and, and, and maybe find a way to kind of get past it. But I'm sure he will be able to and, and, and maybe have a successful career. So, you know, I think Jeremy just felt like maybe this is something to move on from and, and, and see what happens. Just like cable news, I'm glad I found myself a like-minded individual to discuss the circumstance <laughs> with. Matt Michelle with us on the show. Hey, who's the best team in the country right now? I think the best team in the country right now is Ohio State, to be honest with you. I mean, they're the most complete team when you look at how they played offensively. Um, defensively, they looked really good. Uh, they play well at special teams. Um, you know, this is a little bit of a surprise. You know, I thought the, the Achilles heel for the Buckeyes last year was their defense. They've managed to fix that under Ryan Day. Um, I think Justin Fields has played, you know, as well as you can expect from a guy who really hasn't had a lot of playing experience, especially starting experience at the collegiate level. So he's playing really well, and I, and I think this is a team right now that if they, if they dismantle Michigan State tonight, I mean, I, I think they can make their argument they're going to be the top three teams in the country. Um, they're playing a lot better than, I would say, Clemson at this point. Um, and, and, you know, maybe you could look around to maybe better than some of the other teams. I think Alabama's still going to be there, and I think Georgia's still going to be there. But to me, in my mind, at this point, it's Ohio State. Matt, you're always dynamite when you come on, man. I can't thank you enough. I know you're traveling. All the best to you and yours, buddy. All right, thanks a lot. Take care. Have a good afternoon. You too, Matt Merchell, National College Football Writer for the Orlando Sentinel and Tribune. At OS, Matt Merchell. They are the best. There's no denying it. And if you're an SEC country, SEC country, you go right on ahead and try. Because he's not taking a page. I know he was an underling of Urban Meyer. He's not taking a page out of Urban Meyer's book. He's taking a page out of Nick Saban's book. They have a chip on their shoulder. They think that people are down. Nick Saban creates conflict every single year. That's part of the reason he's been so successful. He's really successful because he gets the best players in the country, and he's a machine. But you got to keep those guys motivated. You can just go out there and say that, hey, we're an extension of the IMG Academy, and we're getting you to the NFL. And you'll go out there, and you'll lose big games. You'll go out there, and you'll get fired for losing big games because your players are not playing to optimum performance. You have to inspire those guys. You have to motivate them. And someday Ryan Day is going to be challenged with trying to put the confetti back in the cannon because I'm convinced that Ryan Day can and will win a national championship at Ohio State. He will have to put the confetti back in the cannon, and he will have to motivate them. And if you do it the Nick Saban way, I think you'll be better. Because what Urban Meyer has done in his career has been fantastic. 
And I'm not saying that Ryan Day is better overall than Urban Meyer. That would be an asinine thing to say. But I've seen Ohio State come out against poor opponents. And I've seen them play poor opponents before. And look sloppy, look disinterested, look sleepy. Not finish anything of what their what their jobs are supposed to be. Look confused on defense. Those five things have been apparent of Buckeye football in the past at the beginning of the season against not great opponents, and it's affected them later on because when you're only concerned about getting to the NFL and looking good doing it, you get boat raced by Purdue on the road, a bad football team more than likely. You get embarrassed by Iowa. Maryland hangs around with you and scores around 50. That's the type of thing that happens. Because it's easy to get up for Penn State and try to fight Penn State. It's Penn State. It's a, it's a big-time game. Hard to do it against Purdue. you got to finish your business. And from what I've seen out of Ryan Day in Ohio State so far, I've seen an attention to detail that I have not seen in three years. I have seen a commitment that I have not seen in three years already. And I've seen, obviously, great quarterback play, but great, great game planning from the get-go. They will be tested at some point. Wisconsin will probably take them to the brink because they're the type of team that likes ball control and they like to line up and pound you right in the mouth. They're a throat-punching type of team. That's going to be a great big test, and I'm still convinced that Northwestern on a Friday night out there where it gets spooky, I think that's going to be a little bit difficult for them. That's a trap to me. Now, they could go out there and beat them by 60, and I'm going to feel a lot better about what I'm saying about Ryan Day. But I think that that type of football team where you've looked at the history of Nick Saban, he's brought up Alabama history before. He brings up social problems. He brings up problems with the media, loves to use problems with the media. He's called out the fan base. He's called out the student section. He has consistently found a way to put a chip on the shoulder of his players every single year at Alabama with the exception of one. And that year they finished 9-3. and Nick Saban was never, ever going to let that happen again. Ever. And every year, they have a chip, they have a problem with the world. Ryan Day is doing that with Ohio State. They are the best team in the country right now. 855-2124-CBS, 855-2124-227. 20 minutes away, I'm ripping the NFL and I'm ripping the Hall of Fame. Up next, it's a Week 5 preview. It's Ken Common on CBS Sports Radio. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.